The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful now to come before you as we come before your word. Lord, the highlight of our worship is to hear you with a humble heart. So Lord, we pray for this moment now. I I pray for myself, Lord, that you please help me to teach this text faithfully and clearly, truthfully, in a way that pleases you. But also, Lord, we pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, speak it to each one of our hearts, our minds. Lord, you know each person here in this room. You care for them. They're made in your image. Uh, You've designed them, Lord. And so we pray that you would just... In your grace, your love, your truth, bring us into relationship with you, either newly or continually, Lord. For our salvation in you, for our joy in you, for our maturity in you, speak to us now, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're continuing with our study through the Ten Commandments. Just to begin, let's ask why we would do that. Why would we go back to these ancient commands and ponder them? Well, it's a, it's a big idea. Here's the idea. The God who created everything made us in his image for our good. He has spoken. That's a big deal. And so these commands, they align with how we are designed. The one who made us has given us these commands, and so they're for our good. Also, we see these ideas in the first two verses here. This creator God is also the savior. He saves his people out of slavery. He saved Israel out of slavery in Egypt. In his grace, he saves us from our sin, from our idolatry. He saves the slave out of the slavery. These commands then are the picture picture of what it means to get the slavery out of the slave. These commands are a picture of our freedom. These are our freedom. So that's why we're studying them. We're coming to the fifth command today. You can probably see how this command marks a transition. Christian thinkers have long recognized a two-part aspect to the Ten Commandments, right? The first four are God-oriented. No other gods, worship God the way he says, honor his name, remember the Sabbath, rest in him. Of course, those God-oriented commands influence our relationship with others, of course, but they're specifically vertical. They're God-oriented. The next six, it changes, doesn't it? All of a sudden, it becomes horizontal. These commands focus on our relationships with one another. And Jesus validated this understanding of the law. Didn't he look at Matthew 22, 37 to 40? This is so important for our study. Matthew 22, 37 to 40. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Verse 39, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. That's wonderful, isn't it? So important. The question today is not whether or not we should love. The question today is how we should love. And you see Jesus wrap up all these commands. What is every single command in the Bible about? It's about love. It's how to love. It's loving God, most of all, number one, and loving your neighbor as yourself. So all of these commands are love. Okay, but do you think, think about this, the first four commands seem to be anchored on the first one. No other gods. How do you make sure you have no other gods? Well, worship him the way he says. That's the second command. Uh, Honor his name. Third command, rest in him. That's the fourth command. So they are anchored on that first command. Do you think that's true of the next six? The next six are about loving your neighbor. Do you think they're anchored in the fifth command? What if they are? And if that's true, what should this command say? I mean, you think of the people of Israel being brought out of slavery in Egypt, and now God is constituting this new people, this new community. And so this first command that's relationally oriented, you know, what do you expect that to say? Do you expect it to say, 
always honor the king. Well, not quite. There's no king yet. Or how about this? Honor the priests who teach you and lead you in worship. That's implied here, but is that what it says? No. Or what about honor the judges who determine right and wrong according to the law? Is that what it says? It's implied here, but no. Or, or how about a command for today's world? Um, we're starting to talk about neighbor. Let's, let's make it like this. Honor yourself. Wouldn't that be the next command in today's world? Um, be authentic by giving ultimate authority to your feelings and inclinations. Is that what the command says? No. What does the fifth command say? It's almost shocking to us. The first command on loving your neighbor is honor your father and your mother. Wow. So I've spent a lot of time on this command this week. And as we get into it, I just want to say, I think this command is both rich and difficult. It's rich. What I mean by that is, it's just this massive idea with loads of implications. And so today, even if you think I'm preaching a long time, I cut a lot of stuff in mercy for you, okay? <laughs> and I'm just scratching the surface. It's rich. There's so many implications. But second, it's painful. It's painful. Come on. We know this. We live in a broken world marred by our collective sin and rebellion and family, father and mother, as wonderful as it is. Oh, it can bring a lot of brokenness and pain. Brings a lot of brokenness and pain. And some of us know that very well to the point where maybe today you don't even want to think about a commandment like this. You just don't want, you don't want to. Let me say this here. I think we've all experienced somehow what it means what it's like to be hurt by something that was supposed to be good. Right? You're hurt by something that's supposed to be good, and then it's easy, isn't it, at that point, to despise the good thing itself and not the corruption of that good thing. You see the difference? Uh, use an example of church. Like Some people, maybe it's you, some have been legitimately mistreated by a local church. And so, so what do some of those people say? I'm done with church. Well, okay, but wouldn't some of you want to say to that person, no, 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 no. Come on, church is good. It's God's design. It's for your good. Let's not reject church. Let's reject corruption of the church. Same thing with marriage and parenting and fatherhood and family. Just because there's brokenness there, and there is. We don't want to despise those things. What do we want to despise? We want to despise the corruption of those things. So in this command, we're reminded of the inherent goodness of those things as they are God's design. And we also remember that if we, if we love God, how are we going to lean into these commands? What are we going to do with these things? We're going to learn to delight in them including this one. So this is God's law, but this is for your heart. This is for your good. This is our freedom. Honor your father and your mother. And as painful as it can be, it's worth it. Because look again at the command, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This command is unique in that it comes with a promise. Hey, if you do this, this will be good for your entire community. You will thrive if you do this. So there's a, there's a treasure at the end, so it's worth it. All right. So what the text is saying is when father and motherhood, when fathers and mothers are honored, the community can thrive. So back to this idea then, if you want to love your neighbor and build up your community, where do you start? You start right here. Okay, like I said, it's a rich idea for this morning. I want to walk through three main points with you. First of all, we're going to see why the command is heavy. It's a heavy command. I'll try to explain what I mean. Why the command is heavy. Second, most importantly, we want to see how the command is fulfilled. We want to see how it's fulfilled. And then third, we're going to think about some of what it means to obey this command. All right, how it's heavy, or sorry, why the command's heavy, how the command's fulfilled, some of what it means to obey it. Let's see why it's heavy. Why would I even say that it's heavy? 
Well, what's the first word in verse 12? Honor. What does that word mean? Well, kind of literally, it means heavy. Same root word as glory. It's, it's weighty. It's a serious thing. It especially means it's valuable, heavy value. Give honor to fatherhood and motherhood. It's weighty. It's valuable. It's not a small thing. It's a massive thing. It's, it's, it's almost like saying father and motherhood are like, are like gravity. It's this powerful force of reality. And whether you believe in it or not, it exists. And so life will actually go better when you honor this reality. We're commanded to recognize this value and live accordingly. Honor your father and your mother. So then we might, we, we might ask, well, why is this so heavy to God? Why is it so valuable? I think there's two ideas in here. One is your father and your mother together uniquely image God in giving and cultivating life. Think about that. That's kind of a, that's kind of a big thing. Who gives and cultivates life ultimately? God. And yet, in a way, human beings, specifically a father and mother, image God, reflect God in this way by giving life and in God's design by cultivating that life. So that theme is right here in Exodus. God in Exodus has already named himself father, Exodus 4.22. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel's my firstborn son. And then who's God then? Father. And just two, we, we could go forever on this, just a couple more examples. Psalm 103.13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion on those who fear him. Isn't that great? The Lord shows compassion on you like the, like the greatest father, better than the greatest father ever could. Or Proverbs 3, 11 to 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. God is the ultimate father. He loves us and teaches us love. He protects us. He disciplines us. He cultivates us for our good. In fact, even though God names himself father, the Bible tells us he even loves like the greatest of mothers. Psalm 131.2, David says, I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Do you see the parental love of God? He gives and cultivates Life. So, of course, first command, who's worthy of all honor always? God. But now he has instituted this thing called fatherhood and motherhood that images him in giving and cultivating life. And so, therefore, he's the ultimate heavy glory. But there's a reflected version right here. Honor your father and your mother because they're givers and cultivators of your life. So is this true? Isn't it kind of a biological reality, not to point out the obvious? Everyone biologically has a father and a mother. I'm compelled to mention here, our cultural moment more and more seems to be trying to forget that sex leads to children. I'm not even kidding. Force after force, decade after decade, we want to separate those things more and more as if they're not connected. The Bible won't do that. Obviously, it's totally unnatural to do that. We even say it, right? We weren't trying, and it's kind of a joke, because, well, well, your bodies were trying. <laughs> and they accomplished their mission. It goes together, but the implication here is if we're gonna have integrity with our sexuality, then sexual practice must go with a willingness to devote your life to parenting children. Because as a father or a mother, you're not only creating life in a way, you are therefore responsible to cultivate that life. That image is God. So it's not just a biological reality, it's an ontological reality. That means it, it exists fundamentally. 
God has designed family as a fundamental social unit. Read Genesis 1 to 2. God creates the world. God makes the man and the woman together in his image. He made them male and female in his image. And then he unites them together as one flesh in marriage. And that union then can bring children who begin their lives in this context of a committed father and a committed mother. And so parents and image God, not just in creating life, but in cultivating life. Now, honestly, right, the creating of new life tends to be a bit easier than the cultivating of that life. But at home, right, we talk about the fundamental command. Where should this young lady learn that she's loved? It should be that first moment. Where should she learn she has an identity and is valued? Right there. Where should she know that she's protected, especially by her daddy? Right there. Where should she find she has valuable purpose, that she'll be encouraged, that she'll be disciplined, that she'll be cultivated, that she'll learn to know life isn't just about her, that she's here to live for God's glory in love and service to others. Where, where is she supposed to learn that? Where's that life supposed to be cultivated? Well, it starts right there. Honor your father and your mother. And of course, the ultimate goal in God's design is that this young lady will be brought up to know and love and honor who? The heavenly father, the ultimate father, the truest father, the good father. Listen to Deuteronomy 6.4. Still part of this long section of law, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. The Lord is one. That means there's one God you need all the time for every, for, for every need in your life. There's just one God. Go always to him for everything. Verse five, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. What are you supposed to do with them? You're supposed to teach them diligently to your children, you should talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You see, it's a heavy command because parents image God in the creation and cultivation of life. That's the first reason it's so heavy. It's so weighty. Second command, you saw it in the promise. When these things are honored, it will go well with your society. You'll live long in the land. It's just this massive theme about if you love your neighbor broadly, this, this should be a part of that. So we see, you know, parents are your first fundamental relationship. Uh, it's, it's where you learn that you're loved and that you should love, but you, you'll also learn there appropriate submission to other kinds of authorities. It's supposed to give you a, a way to understand what's fundamental and most important, but also important. So, so, this is where we should, be, we should learn to be ready for teachers and bosses at work and governmental authorities. We, le we learn how to participate appropriately with other people. And, and you know, I think, I, think it, I think it can be said the health of families and the family unit protects society itself. On one hand, you've got anarchy. What's that? All the systems go down. What, are, what do we start doing? Breaking windows and, and stealing TVs. Sometimes you see that when a hurricane comes through town, there's no police, there's no, I said, let's take it, anarchy. What's gonna hold somebody back from anarchy when all the external authorities are down? It's when you learn self-control, that there's a right and wrong. You wanna serve others, you wanna sacrifice for others. Family, healthy families resist anarchy. Children learn responsibility, teamwork. Serving, protecting others. Healthy families also resist tyranny. On the other hand, because the authority of the father and the mother precedes the authority of the government. Couldn't you say, I mean, I'm not an expert. You dabble in a little historical reading. Couldn't you say that societies that like freedom tend to emphasize the primary authority of parents and societies that do not like your freedom, what do they tend to do? They want to replace parents as primary authority. I think that's true historically. You could see that. 
So of course, I wanna say here, listen, do sometimes other authorities need to step in when the family's broken or abusive or there's abandonment? Certainly they do. Certainly they do. Um, I'm thankful for foster care and social workers. I'm thankful for getting kids out of abusive families into healthy situations. I'm thankful for adoption. Don't you love adoption? What do we have with any, what do we have in common with anyone who's adopted as a Christian? Guess what? Your spiritual life, you've been adopted. You came out of a, a bad family, the, the family of the world, or a family that couldn't care for you somehow. You see that you, you were fatherless in a way, but then God came and he got you and brought you to himself through Jesus. You've been adopted now as a child of God. So it's a heavy command, right? These father and mother, they image God and creating, cultivating life. And the second reason this, this is heavy is because the command says, honoring this command is, is an important ingredient, a key to a healthy society. Is that a big deal or not? It's a big deal. Like I said, it's rich. There's more we could say. It's painful. We have scars, but here it is. And maybe now we could all just take a, a sober moment to ponder. You know, one thing the law does, what does God's law do? Every time you look at it honestly, what's it do? In some way, it will condemn you, right? Which one of us can look into the mirror of the law and go, two thumbs up, right? When we see ourselves and we see the law, we're instantly brought by God's grace into confession. Conviction and confession. So I won't even try to illustrate that for you, but take a moment, ask God to show you, or maybe he already is, confess to him ways you have broken this. Or cry out to him in the pain of your heart ways others have broken this to you. Oh God, what happened to fathers and mothers? What have I done? Lord, forgive me. The ways we've been unfaithful to others, to our children. The ways as children we've despised and rebelled against authority. The way our society wants to pretend like it doesn't exist. Have mercy on us, Lord. And you know, Again, as you look at the law, this law given by grace to Israel, what did Israel do with every one of these commands as you read their history? They broke it. You can read it in Ezekiel. Father and mother are despised in you. And the land suffers. And what happened at the end there of Israel's history? Exile. They broke the law. They did not honor father and mother. And there is a parable of ourselves, our culture at law, our culture at large, our own minds and our hearts, the bottom line is we, we, we dishonor God's design here in the fifth command. Why? Why do we ever break command two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, or 10? Because we broke number one. Thou shalt no other gods before me. Did not honor him as God. And so we need a savior, don't we? We need a savior, oh Lord. We need a healer, we need a priest, we need Jesus. And that's where we're delighted to now see that Jesus fulfills this command for us in every way. Jesus fulfills this command. Number one, just in his human life, he fulfilled this so beautifully. Reminder, who's Jesus? The eternal son of God, co-creator of the world. Truly God takes on human flesh becomes a child, a fetus in a womb, grows, is born out of the birth canal of the Virgin Mary, adopted by this normal guy, a good guy named Joseph. And the gospel, in the gospel of Luke, Luke takes pains to show us how Jesus submitted to his parents as a child growing up under their authority. So if you can remember being a child, for some of you, this is a long time ago. Um, for others, you're like, yeah, I remember, okay or maybe you're one right now, have you ever thought, man, my parents are stupid, I know better? <laughs> okay, have you ever had that thought? I know, maybe just every once in a while, okay? Now imagine Jesus, because in his case, he actually does know better. <laughs> they're, they're sinners, they're weak and they're foolish. I'm sure they made mistakes. The Bible tells us they were good, faithful people, but they're sinners, they're foolish, they make mistakes. He knows he's the son of God when he's 12. 
Look what Luke 2.51 says. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was, what? Submissive to them. The king of the universe humbled himself to honor his father and his mother. That's part of his obedience that saves us from our sin. He did it. Moreover, do you remember the story of the cross? I won't reference it. He's hanging on a cross. And what does he not forget to do? John, take care of my mom. While he's hanging on a cross, there is a fundamental pattern there. When you're a young child in your parents' home, what do you do? You submit to your parents. When you're an older child and your older parent needs care, what do you do? You care for your parents. He did it first. He lived it out. He fulfills this command. Moreover, he always honored his heavenly father. Look at John 14, 31. This is amazing to me. It's an example for us. I do as the father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Aren't those incredible words? What's he want the world to know? Did you see it? He wants you to know, he wants the world to know, he loves his Father in heaven. He just told you, he wants you to know he loves his Father in heaven. And how does he show you that he loves his Father in, in heaven? He always obeys. That's glorious. He loves his father. He obeys his father. Love to the father is shown in our obedience. And of course, now here we sit condemned by our own disobedience, our lack of love for the father. And now Jesus Christ, the one who always honored his parents, the one who honors his father in heaven, now he's on the cross in part for how we have broken the fifth commandment. The one who always obeyed the father is now receiving the wrath of the father for we who did not honor and obey the father. It's atoning for our sins, a substitute for us, taking the wrath of God in our place. And then God vindicates his work in the resurrection. Look what Jesus says to Mary Magdalene, John 20, 17. She sees him alive, the first to see him. Jesus says to her, go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my father. And now look at this next phrase. And your father. What did Jesus accomplish for you? His life and his death and his resurrection. He brought you to the father as children of God. He has earned your adoption. He has seated you next to him before the Father. He is your brother. And now through him, you are completely and totally accepted, delighted in as a child of God through what Jesus has done. Do you see the depths and the riches of how he fulfills this command? Israel couldn't keep it. He's the true son. I've told you before, these commandments, they're, they're a portrait of Jesus Christ's life. He did them in perfection. He obeyed them. Even as he grew, he died for us. How we broken it on the cross. He rose from the dead in victory. And now in him, this, this command is, is fulfilled for us. We are children of God, new hearts and new minds to love the Lord Jesus. Isn't that amazing? I just can't help but say it. If you're not a Christian today, this is, this is God's invitation to you. And, and maybe if you're, if you're struggling with the idea of fatherhood, there's a lot of men out there that would make you struggle with that idea. I just, I, I just wanna encourage you with even, even your hurt in that regard. There's a, there's a reason it's so painful because you know there was something good that was supposed to be there that wasn't. And I'm telling you, it's found right here in the Father in heaven through Jesus Christ. He's your Father. 
He, he holds you, he keeps you, he knows you, protects you, he loves you. He's got an inheritance for you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Yeah, it's a come to Jesus moment. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus, be saved of your sin. Know this new identity as a child of God. Okay, well, if you are a child of God through Jesus Christ and you love how he saved you, fulfilled the commands for you, well, now what are you gonna wanna do with his commands? What do Christians wanna do with God's commands? We wanna keep them. That's what we wanna do. Don't we kind of follow Jesus', Jesus model? What does he say? I want the world to know I love my father. How does he do that? He obeys the commands. Do you want the world to know the goodness of God? Do you want the world to, to know that you love the father in heaven through Jesus Christ? How are you gonna show the world that you love the father in heaven through Jesus Christ? You're gonna move into keeping his commands. How do we keep this command. Well, you could literally, I'm going to give you, uh, how many am I going to give you? And you're like, oh no, he doesn't even know. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to give you six ways we can think about moving into this command. I'm going to do it very briefly. Piles of books have been written on all six. Okay. So I'm just, I'm just flying over it quickly. Pray that the Lord will show you what he wants for you specifically at this time and this place in your life as you engage with this command. But here's six briefly. Number one, delight in and stand for the beautiful reality of God's design as seen in this command. I don't know if you've noticed, but we live in a cultural moment that is not interested in finding its identity in the goodness of God's design to the point that in many pop cultural ways, even motherhood is being redefined to no longer include females. That does not honor motherhood. Honor motherhood. It's glorious. We are for it. We're gonna be bold in being for it and delight in it. I don't know if you've noticed, but there are flags waving this month that are all celebrating how we invent ourselves. And for a Christian, we know that we have been designed by our Father in heaven for our good. So we wanna stand boldly, joyfully, for the beauty of God's design in male and female, in marriage, in fatherhood and motherhood. And some of you say, well, isn't that judgmental? I, I, Self-righteousness is a sin, let's call it that. Self-righteousness is a sin. And, and I just wanna quote the apostle Paul, Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. I am desperate for God's grace. How many of that, that is true for you, right? Okay. God's word just told us that one way we love our neighbor is that we delight in his truth. Are we supposed to love all our neighbor, even, even those of us who disagree with us heartily on this, on this issue? Yeah, hey friends, and some of us need to remember, you're even supposed to love your enemy. Do you remember? Remember if they slap your face, you're supposed to forgive them? Do you remember? If they ask for your coat, you're supposed to, remember the Roman soldier, if he asked for it, you're supposed to walk not one mile, but two miles? Do you remember you're supposed to love, deeply love those who disregard you, those who hate you, those who disagree with you, right? Give me an amen. That's what Jesus did for you. Love your neighbor. And we're not gonna let go that God himself has told us that a major way we love our neighbor is to boldly declare God's truth. That is love, it's love. So I want us to delight in and stand for the beauty, beautiful reality of God's design in fatherhood and motherhood. Promoting healthy families with a father and a mother is a, is a massive part of how we love our neighbor. That is true biblically, obviously, it's been repeatedly shown to be true sociologically. More than any other social demographic consideration, I think it's true. Children growing up in a home with a father and a mother is by far the best scenario. 
If you love your neighbor, you take that into account and you won't be ashamed of it. So that's number one. Delight in a stand for the beautiful reality of God's design and fatherhood and motherhood. Number two, if God so blesses you to make you a father or a mother, let's be faithful, especially that second part of his design. We're supposed to cultivate these people for his glory. Look at Ephesians 6, 4. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers and mothers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So you think of provoking your kids to anger, that's just when you don't like to be convenient, so you yell a lot. Or you don't, you don't like to be inconvenient, so you yell out. You provoke them to anger. You, you make extra rules. You're not consistent. They, they can't find what they should be looking for in you as a father or a mother. Don't provoke your children to anger. Be, be gentle, be gracious, be wise, be understanding. But do you see this calling? Bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Wow. So if you're a father and mother, are, are your kids in the way of you doing the really important stuff? Does your heart ever tell you that? Are, you, are your kids in the way of you being successful? Doesn't your heart tell you that sometimes? Do you hear what God's word is saying? Your kids aren't in the way of the important stuff. Your kids aren't in the way of your success. This is at the heart of the important stuff. This is your faithfulness to discipline your kids to know and love Jesus Christ. It's your job, parents, to disciple your children in the Lord. That's first and fundamental. Church, oh, we gotta help. We wanna help. If we can help, let us know. But it's your job to disciple your kids in the Lord. So let's own that together. Let's be faithful fathers and mothers, and rejoice in it. You know, every once in a while, it doesn't happen that often. People find out I have, ki I have five kids and somebody looks at me like I just told them I have leprosy. You know, and at first they're like, I'm so sorry, you know. And second, they're like, don't touch me, you know. And listen, I just wanna say, and some of my kids are in this room, I love being a father. I love it. I, I wouldn't trade it. I glory in it, and the Bible lets me do that. It tells me to do that. I love my daughters. I love my sons. And I see that in so many of you. Nothing will ever change that. Praise God. We want to be faithful parents. But even as I say that, right, we want to rejoice in God's truth. We want to be faithful parents. Here's a third thing I want to say, and it's on like the flip side of the coin. Never make biological family into an idol. Never make it into an idol. Do you think we could be mature enough people to rejoice in the fifth command without breaking the first command because of our zeal in the fifth command? It's so easy to flip one way or the other, isn't it? It's so easy. So this third way to keep this command, let's remember it's the fifth command. It's not the first command. Don't make biological family an idol. Is that possible? <laughs> you bet it's possible. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 37. That's just... Here you go. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is what? Not worthy of me. Do you hear that? Jesus is saying, if you love your father or mother more than me, if your allegiance to them is stronger than your allegiance to me, don't even come. You're not ready yet. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me. Are you ready to take that pill, parents? If you love son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. Don't even come, you're not ready yet. Whoever take up his own cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So that's, that's the pill for our culture. What? I've gotta love someone more than I love myself? Yeah. If you don't love me even more than your own life, you're not ready yet. You're not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I love that the end of that passage, because you see, when you come to Christ and you realize you want him to be the ultimate authority, there is a, there is a fear scenario of like losing, right? Um, losing these things, because you're, you're putting them probably hopefully where they should be, 
the category of your loves. But you realize if you love your life, if you wanna keep these things because they're better to you than Christ, if you love your life, guess what's gonna happen to these things that you love more than Christ? You're still gonna lose it. In fact, you've now lost the design of what it's for. Because think of ways sometimes parents love their kids more than Jesus. Are you willing to tell your kid when they're disobedient to Jesus? And sometimes when we won't, why would we not do that? Because we're afraid we'll lose them. But do you realize when you do that, you've just lost the design of what your motherhood or fatherhood was all about in the first place. You're designed to point them to Christ. Same way the other, look at the other way, right? Do marriage counseling sometimes. Do you think marriages are ever, um, do you think they ever suffer from overbearing parents or in-laws occasionally? You may have heard of these things from a friend, you know? You think that ever happens? What is, what's going on here? Well, somebody loves somebody else more than they love Jesus. They're, they're not following God's design. So you think Genesis 2, when a, when a man and woman get married, they leave their father and mother and cling to the, to the wife, to the husband, and a new family is made. And some parents are like, nope. You're outside now of, of God's design for this. Just small ways, right, that, that we can flirt with making biological family an idol. Or even this, as we highlight the heavy value of fatherhood and motherhood, listen, some of us will never be fathers or mothers. It happens. It could be a great pain sometimes to never be father or mothers. But we wanna say, like, being a father, that's not my core identity. And there's a time in my life when I wasn't one, and I'll always be one officially, but there'll be a time in my life when they're gone. If that's the core of who I am, I'll break. There's nothing left. No, who am I really? Jesus said amazing things. Remember, there's this story, he's doing miracles, and his mom and his brothers come to get him because they think he's too big for his britches, right? Uh, this Messiah thing, you know, you're cool, you're, you're extra, but this is too much. And, and he disciplines them. And one thing he does is he, by disciplining them, he raises everybody else's stature up to an amazing place. Look at Mark 3, 35. Jesus said this. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. In that culture, that was radical because your first allegiance would be to that biological family. And now Jesus says, no matter what your circumstances like in your life, if you're mine, you're in my family. And that's this new fundamental identity and meaning and purpose and value. So we never wanna make biological family an idol. Jesus was a single man. Did he have a meaningful life? Paul was a single man who gave his life for the family of God. So if we're in Christ, we belong to the family of God. Seek first, how does Jesus' words go? Seek first your family, and then if you have time, the kingdom of God. No, seek first the kingdom of God. That's first. We don't ever wanna make family an idol. Okay, I've only got three more. I won't be as long on each one. Here's number four. Following Jesus' model, part one. This command is about submitting appropriately to God's authorities, isn't it? To God's authorities. God sets up parents. He sets up church. He sets up government. God has set these things up. They're different authorities in different ways. Is it true that we must obey God rather than men sometimes? Yes, but some of us fall so in love with that, we forget that most of the time, obedience to God is obedience to human authorities. So we wanna submit appropriately to God's authorities. And of course, that starts in the family. Look at Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then look what he quotes, verse two. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. 
So if you're living with your parents, you're a young child, this is God's command to you. You love Jesus the way you love Jesus. Who do you need to obey primarily? Obey your parents. Do you feel like sometimes they're wrong or overbearing? My kids are up here going, no, never. Um, it'll be hard to trust and obey your parents sometimes, right? But in God's design, this is for your good and you're learning through that to trust and obey your Father in heaven. And, and some authors call this like the circle of safety when you live in submission and obedience to your parents. It's gonna go well with you if you'll trust and obey your parents. And if you're like, nope, I'm rebelling, I'm going off on my own. Any of you guys have a, have a past like that? Any of you have scars from that past? Those choices can bring pain. And so God's love is saying, hey, this one way we obey this, like Jesus did, we submit to our parents while we live under their authority, okay? But then we wanna follow Jesus' model in the second way. That's number five here. We remember this command was given mainly to adults, right? Moses didn't say, hey, adults, go have some discussion time. We're gonna have kitty church now at the seat of the mountain and then say, obey your daddy and your mommy. He could have done that. No, what is, who does he give this command to? Everybody, honor your father and your mother. So most of the people there, at least half the people there, or some of the people there are thinking of their elderly parents. This is exactly a huge emphasis of this command. Care for your parents in their old age. Respect and care for your parents. Jesus had, Jesus had a tussle with the Pharisees over this. Look at Mark 7, verse 9. He said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in, in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, oh, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, which means given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. Do you see what these guys were doing? They're devoting everything to, to the temple and they want everybody to see it so they could be seen as being religious. And then as they were using all their resources in one direction, they then told their, their, their parents in need of care, sorry, we can't help you out because I'm, I'm living for God. And Jesus is baloney, no way, trash. The way you keep this command is to respect and honor your more elderly parents. And some of you have been incredible examples of this to me because it can be really hard work, can it? Depending on what our parents are going through. But this devotion to care for them in their old age, that's a major part of how we keep this command. We're honoring our father and our mother. Also, even in our old age, we wanna respect our parents, don't we? How do we honor our parents? Well, let's think about how we speak to and about our parents. Do we ever talk to or about our parents like they're just, well, we dishonor them? Let's think about how we speak to and honor our parents. Let's be thankful for and to our parents. If you're a parent, don't you feel honored if your child is thankful? God is honored when we're thankful to him. It is a fundamental way to honor. Also seek counsel from your parents, that honors them. And here's another one. Sometimes we, to honor our father and mother, we need to forgive our parents. Some of us have horrible scars from parents. And please hear me, I am not saying any abuse or abandonment was ever right or excusable. And sometimes you honor father and mother because you're like, you're saluting the uniform. Because you're honoring the God who made father and mother even more sometimes in the faithfulness of the person in that role. But one way to honor a father or mother, even when they don't deserve it at all, is we can forgive. We can forgive them. Now, forgiveness will look like different things in different contexts, but we need to forgive them. And, you know, even, even those of us with the best of parents, I hope I'm a decent parent, God knows I'm flawed. And one day my kids will be like, what's wrong with us? Oh, it's dad's fault, right? <laughs> they might be right. They might be right, but I hope my kids forgive me for my flaws. Isn't that a way to honor our parents? Let's forgive them. And we can because we belong to Christ. Last thing I'll say, we'll wrap this up. Promote familial love in the church. 
Here's an example, 1 Timothy 5.1. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Talk to younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. You see this guide for Timothy as he relates with the church? How's he supposed to treat people in the church? Like family. There should be a familial love in the church, which means just like I should honor my biological mother and father, I should honor my spiritual mothers and fathers. And we should have a a deep value for all the generations of a church. You know, I've been to a church before, right, where it seems um, you split everybody always into their own age group only. And it's like one group doesn't really want to be with the other group. And, and sometimes, occasionally, it's the young and hip and the, and the stuffy and the elderly, although here our elderly are hip, and some of our young people are stuffy, right? <laughs> My point is there's this horrible movement sometimes to devalue different ages. That does not honor God. It does not honor this command. So whatever season of life you're in, this gives such meaning because in a way you can, in, in a way you can play that role in the family of God. Be motherly, be fatherly, be brotherly, be sisterly, and have that kind of love for one another. That's a way we honor this command. So church, let's wrap it up. Listen, our culture is gonna need to see something different. May we be the kind of people who, because God the Father has brought us into his family through Jesus Christ, we love and we look for ways and we lean into honoring this command because it glorifies God, it's love for our neighbor, and the more we do it, it will go well with us. Let's pray. Father, we just want to confess ways we have broken this command. They are many. We want to confess ways we are hurt by other people breaking this command. They are many. And we thank you for our Father in heaven, the Lord Jesus. We thank, or our Father in heaven who sent the Lord Jesus so that we could belong to him. Lord, just uh, satisfy us in you and your love. Uh, let us just rest in how Jesus fulfilled this command for us. And because of him, Lord, let us delight in this truth and this command and live it out, Lord, for your glory, for love for our neighbor, for our joy. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.